um, <clears throat> in the last three, let's see, last week we did chapters 33, 4, and 5. Is that right? And, and we finished up a series of six woes. Do you remember the woes? There was started, I mean, that wasn't the first time that the word woe had been used in Isaiah, but there was a series starting in chapter 27 or 28 where we had six woes. And the first five woes were against whom? Or directed to whom? Was it? Israel, God's people. Woe to you, rebellious sons. Woe to you, um, Ariel. Woe to you. He's talking to his own people, right? The first five. Remember that? And then the sixth one, there's a shift. And, and what does it say? Woe to you, O destroyer. And we talked about how that could be Assyria and it could have a, also a, a more um, uh, distant fulfillment. It could be directed toward the Antichrist. But certainly for those people, part of the fulfillment was God saying that he's going to destroy Assyria. Now, when God says, woe to you, O destroyer, Assyria, he's not, it's not like the king of Assyria is sitting there and Isaiah is talking to him. It's, he's, God is saying this to or about Assyria for the benefit of his own people. I mean, sometimes I forget that. Um, so when he's, he's saying that, so... So when you're reading in scripture and it talks about some of these things that God says he will do, I will do this to the rebellious, I will do this to the haughty, I will do this to, you know, different ones that rebel and sin against him. Um, those people might not be reading that passage, but, but we can take comfort in knowing that God is a just God, that he's a righteous God, that his judgment is completely and totally right and fair in the sense of being just. When we say something's not fair, usually it means I didn't get what I wanted. Um, and somebody said fair is just a place where hogs compete for ribbons. So, so, don't, so don't talk about things not being fair. Um, okay, so, so um, how were chapters, now this section of this passage 36, 7, 8, and 9, how was that, did, did that seem different from what we'd been reading? Was there some, is there a different style? Was it, what, what? It was historical, it was, yeah, it was, it was more like a story, like a narrative. If you're studying, uh, say, the life of Abraham, that that would not be prophecy, although there are little bits of prophecy in there. That would be a narrative. In other words, it's a story. It's a, the account of something that happened. So even though Isaiah as a book overall is prophecy, we have this little bit of narrative in here. And, and even in these four chapters, there's little bits of prophecy. But yes, it was kind of fun, I thought, to have narrative. Narrative is certainly easier than, than prophecy. So I thought we'd go through the basic story. Now tell me what was your title for chapter 36? Yeah, that's kind of, that's, that's wordy, but yes. Uh, she said basically that... Um, Judah or Jerusalem is threatened by Assyria and the, and the commander makes them think that God has abandoned them. So there's a threat, right? It's Assyria. What else, um, who else, other ways that you title the? An attack on their faith. An attack on their faith, okay. Uh, other, that's nice and short, anything else? Yes, Lana. Ooh, evil gives false wisdom, yeah. Now, if you were giving a little devotional, based, like, I mean, I can't imagine somebody saying, we'd like you to come and give a little devotional at our potluck, and we want you to speak from Isaiah 36. That would be a great title. That would be a great thing. So, so there's, there's a threat, 
um, let's see what I put. I know it's the enemy's threatening, um, taunting. Let's see. I put, uh, I put that Rabshakeh taunts Jerusalem. And then, or also, also I put, he, he said, you're next, you know, because they're doing this sweeping thing. So, so um, there's, a, and then I use the word taunts here in my little thing. So um, Assyria threatens Jerusalem. We'll just, we'll just do that. Okay, so um, now this Rabshakeh guy, whatever, however you pronounce it, apparently that was a title like Pharaoh or Czar or President or General. Because some versions of the Bible, you will notice it says the Rabshakeh. And there is a the in front of it in the Hebrew text. Because I, I thought, well, that's weird. So I checked it. And I never knew that before. I always thought it, it was just a name. So he represents the king of, king of um, Assyria. What's the king's name? Sennacherib. Sennacherib. <laughs> okay, um, so I want to read um, a little bit. And now we've mentioned before that Second Kings is, the, is a historical book that covers a lot of the same time. So um, there's a couple of verses in Second Kings that fit in between verse 1 and verse 2 in our chapter here. So I'm going to read verse 1, then I'm going to read in Second Kings, and then I'm going to read verse 2. Okay, now in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and seized them. And I found somewhere else where it said 46. So I don't know how they can be that precise, but that he had, he had seized 46 of the cities. Okay, now this is 2 Kings, and I'll tell you the reference in a minute. Now in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria. Okay, so this is the previous king, right? Marched against Samaria, that's the north, and besieged it, and at the end of three years' siege, they captured Samaria. In the sixth year of Hezekiah, Samaria was captured. Then the king of Assyria led Israel into exile to Assyria. So this has already happened, right? And so now eight years later, it's the, it's the 14th year, and now there's a new king uh, who actually, Sennacherib actually became king by, um, by, he was not the oldest son of the previous king, but he maneuvered somehow, and I don't, anyway, he became king. Okay, so then it says in 2 Kings, then Hezekiah, uh, well, they became against all the fortified cities of Judah and seized them. Then Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent messengers to the king of Assyria at Lachish. And here's Hezekiah's message. I have done wrong. Withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will endure. So the king of Assyria imposed on Hezekiah the payment of 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. Hezekiah then gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures, treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorposts which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid, and he gave it to the king of Assyria. When Hezekiah first became king, and you can read about this in um, Kings and Chronicles, he did a bunch of good things, like he opened up the temple again, because remember, who was a king before him? Who was his father? Yeah. Ahaz, and he wasn't a very nice guy, and he didn't care anything about the temple. So, so this is, um, Hez when Hezekiah became king, he did a bunch of reforms. And so he himself had, done, had overseen these, uh, these uh, fixing up of the temple. And now to kind of bribe the enemy that's going to come and attack him, he rips it off and sends it to him, right? Okay, and then, um, okay, so that was 2 Kings 18. I read uh, mostly 14, 15, and 16. 2 Kings 18, verses 14, 15, and 16. 
So that's a little history. All right. So then the king of Assyria sent Rabshakeh from Lachish, Lachish to Jerusalem to King Hezekiah with a large army. Now we're back in chapter 36 with verse 2. And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool on the highway of the fuller's field. And then it lists these three leaders from uh, Hezekiah and they come out and they listen to him. Now, does that sound familiar, this place where they were standing, the conduit of the upper pool on the highway of the fuller's field? From 2 Kings 18.19. What about in Isaiah? Where was Isaiah standing when he, back in chapter 7 and 8 when he talked to Ahaz, for example? So this is our little uh, uh, parallels to Ahaz. So it was, there was this certain place um, where they spoke from. It's, that's like an 8.8, 8, I think, way back then. Okay. So let's talk about, um, first, Rabshakeh, the, I'm going to call him Rab. He taunts this little delegation of leaders that Hezekiah sent out. And then there's a thing about, you know, don't talk in the common language because we don't want the people to overhear and be scared. And he's like, well, I didn't come just to tell you. They need to know. So then he taunts all the people and he speaks in their language so that the people will be, he hopes, taunted. Now, let's think about and you had a question on this. What were some of the methods or tricks that Rev. Sheka used? Let me see that. You had a question in your lesson. Page 97 at the bottom of the page. Okay, tell me some of the things that he did, some of the things he said, some of the strategies that he used to scare and demoralize and, and insult the people. Tell me some of the things that he did, that he said. Well, in verse 15, he says, Now Nehemiah knew to trust in the Lord, and the whole capital says Yahweh. Mm-hmm. Okay, so don't be, don't be trusting in the Lord, right? right? What, does he say why? Don't trust the Lord. Why should they not trust the Lord? What does he say? Like, why shouldn't they trust the Lord? I mean, he's, he's their God, right? What does Rab say? He wouldn't give because he risks all the Okay, he says, look, town A fell. The next town, town B fell. No problem conquering tab, you know, town C, D, and you guys are next. Why should you be any different? Their gods didn't deliver them, so your God's not any different, right? Don't trust the Lord. Um, so he's kind of saying the Lord is just another God. And they had regional gods, remember? Like this valley would have this God, and this little area along this river would have this God. And if you captured the little statue, it's kind of like you got the power of that God on your side. So he's saying, the Lord is just another God. And none of them were able to resist us. Okay, anything else that he did? Think about when people insult you or insult the Lord's cause or, um, the, you know, he cast doubt on God's word, things like that. Anything else? Oh, yeah. Um, what verse was that? 19-ish. Is that where he says to make a deal? Make a deal with our, with our compromise and you won't be hurt. Who's going to know? Come on, it's expedient. Let's just do it. Okay, anything else? I want us to spend some time on this because I think it's really important. We all face opposition, whether it's direct to us personal or it's just against God, his word, his people, all those kinds of things. So he cast doubt on God's ability, God's identity and his ability. And then he told, said, hey, if you compromise, you won't be hurt. What else? Oh, bribery's always good. 
Are you talking about the horses? Yeah, yeah he says, hey, um, I'll give you 2,000 horses. Yeah. If you've even got 2,000 soldiers, you can put on them. And, and I didn't realize this, but historically, um, uh, riding horses like uh, cavalry, cavalry, <laughs> not cavalry, cavalry, cal horse, anyway, that was, that was kind of a new um, war uh, strategy in that era. So, so Assyria was right on it. They probably invented it, right? So he mocked them, how, how wimpy their army was and how few they had. Anything else? Yes, Lana. Yes. Ooh. Oh. Yes. Yes. She's asking about verse 10 when he says, come on, I wouldn't come up here and say this stuff if God hadn't told me to. So he's twisting around and using the God told me thing. God told me. Yeah. <laughs> God told me this and that and the other. It's like, come on, I'm just like you. I consult God. And he says, no, I'm supposed to do this, which they almost could believe because God had said he was going to use Assyria to discipline them. But remember back in was it chapter 22 when he talked about that this great flood would overflow and it would come down all through the land. And he was talking about he was using figurative language, talking about Assyria and the armies, and he said it will come up to your neck. Okay, so the rest of the body of theirs was, was about those fortified cities that they did take, but the head is Jerusalem. And so God had told them that Jerusalem would not be taken at that time when the Assyrians came. So he, so he uses this, oh, God told me, or just acting on my own you know come on any other any any other mo you can think of yeah so i'm going to put that he he uh, dissed their abilities and that oh this hezekiah he's trying to mislead you don't listen to him Oh, yeah, yeah. He said, now, come on. Your whole plan of trusting in Egypt. What did he say about Egypt? How did he describe it? A broken reed. And it's like a reed would be, yeah, like heavier than the reed. More like bamboo, probably, in our thoughts. Uh, but he says, but, but wimpy. And so if you kind of try to lean on it and use it like a cane to limp along, it's going to just break and it's going gonna, it's gonna to end up injuring you, basically. So, um, so, yeah, he said, don't trust in your God and don't trust in Egypt. And so he made fun of Egypt as well. Also, there's this in verse 10, it says that Hez um, beware that Hezekiah does not mislead you. Mm -hmm. Okay, attack godly leader, and um, I thought of one other thing while I was. Well, he's still on the use of the bribery stuff. Come and follow me to the land. I'll take you to the land. Oh, it'll be lovely. It'll be a lovely place. You'll like it. <laughs> but I like this with verse 21. Yes. Yes. Yes, I was going to ask that question. You were just right ahead. Good, good. Yeah, I was going to say, okay, and how did the people respond? Hezekiah had already told them, it sounds like, beforehand. Now listen, you go out and, and you listen to what they have to say, but don't get in some cat fight with them. Don't debate, don't argue. Just listen to what they have to say and then come back and report it to me. So they came back and it says that their clothing was torn 
and you know that means they're wrought up their their grief their mourning they're like oh this is terrible so okay so chapter 36 that's the taunt and we looked at some of his mo and and those things are just as um fresh today those strategies that the enemy of god's cause god's people would use right so be be alert to them um okay so let's go on to chapter 37 and what did you have for a title for chapter 37 God does what? Destroys. Destroys. Okay. Uh, answer to prayer. God destroys Assyrian army. So did you have something along that line? Jerusalem's deliverance foretold. Very good, yes, yes. So, I mean, this whole chapter was about prayer and the answer to prayer. So something about prayer would be great. Uh, the, the point, the upshot was that Jews, Jerusalem was delivered and the Assyrians, God intervened. It wasn't like a regular army battle or something, right? Ask and received help from God. Asked and received help from God. Okay, great. Okay, so, so in here we're going we're gonna to make some observations about prayer, about how did it, you know, what, what we could learn from Hezekiah's prayer. Um, let's see. Okay, well, I said that the first, the first thing, like the first 20 verses are um, he's seeking the Lord. So what all did he do besides pray? We already said he prayed. How else did he seek the Lord? Okay, so uh, sent for Isaiah. Okay, so um, signs of mourning or grief or whatever. So he was taking it seriously. Anything else? Sent for Isaiah, prayed. Okay, he sent, yeah, he sent those guys, right, to, and, he, and he told them to go, go see if Isaiah has any message for us. Um, I loved it when, isn't this where it says when he was praying that he spread it out before the Lord? I just love that. Um, you know, sometimes I feel stupid saying, oh, God, and you know if this happens or that happens, and then, but then I have to think about this and this, and God already knows it, but it's kind of like a way for us to just cl get clear in our mind what the circumstance is, what the need is, and then what are we asking God to do. Uh, anything else about prayer that you noticed? Um, see, you had a question on page 98. Maybe you jotted some great pearls of wisdom down there. Page 98, question 3E. Isaiah, you go and ask the Lord, you know, what mm -hmm, we do with mm -hmm. this. But then over in, in starting in verse um, 14, Isaiah himself yes. took the letter mm -hmm. to the house of the mm -hmm. Lord spread it out. Mm -hmm. He himself prayed. So he didn't just so say, oh, we need to ask Isaiah what we should do. No, he prayed himself. He sent for Isaiah to see if God gave him a word, but he prayed personally. He didn't just ask other people to pray. He prayed himself. Okay. Oh. Yeah, you know how great I am, God, so listen up. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Is that, um, he reminded God of, of, what did he remind God of? Yes. 
following what Moses did. Did not Moses remind God of this new promise mm-hmm. to kill these people? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, yes. So remind God of his promises. And and those promises flowed out of God's person, right? So remind God of his promises and his person, his character. Because if you're praying, if you're making a request, request you got to know who you're talking to. You got to remind yourself. You know, I, I need to remember. This is the God of the universe here that I'm asking to, in one tiny little corner, in one tiny little space of time. Um, you know, I'm going um, to this humongous, vast God and asking Him um, to intervene. Okay. Um, and so, so when Isaiah came, then what was his message? What, what did he think that God was telling him? I don't know if there was a question specifically. Okay, he's going to take care of, of Assyria and Jerusalem will, will be preserved, will be untouched, right? Do not be afraid, yeah. Um, let's see. Then I was thinking of the blast that uh, he was blaspheming God. Mm-hmm. And God um, through his through Isaiah says that this is what they did, they blasphemed God. And I think uh, You could almost add that over here, right? Yes, go ahead. They blasphemed God. God does not take that lightly. Yes, God does not like that. Okay, anything else about prayer? Um, There's a bit more, I think, in Hezekiah is going to pray again in chapter 38, right? Oh, I, I know one thing that I wrote down is in verse 20. It says, like the end of his prayer, how he closed. And now, O Lord, our God, Deliver us from his hand. Why? So that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. So he's praying um, for God's for God's glory, uh, for the character of God to be revealed. Um, not just not just get us out of this scrape, but it seems like he has a little bit bigger scope like God you know act in this and and it will show those around us for God's glory and to reveal his character and <laughs> the Lord's answer was quite lengthy um, that started in verse 21 right so he came uh, it says he sent word to Hezekiah thus says the Lord because you have prayed to me about this. This is the word that the Lord has spoken against him. And then 22 all down uh, at least to 29 is what God is speaking against Sennacherib. So God... Yeah, I wasn't sure... um, Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yes. No, it's the same. It's the same kind of thing that we talked about a, a bit ago. Um, Sennacherib or his representatives are not standing there. Is you know what I mean? They're not hearing this message. Oh, it may have gotten back to them or something, but but they're not. They're not saying, "Okay, Rab, you go tell your king this." It's really for the benefit of God's people that he's giving them some insight into how he views the um, Assyrian army and, and, you know, their leader. And, uh, so would not Isaiah have gone to court to tell him this? Therefore, everybody within that court would have heard what Isaiah 
Maybe, although it says he sent word, so I don't know for sure how he sent it. Let's see. What's that? Yes, yes. Verse 21, it says, Then Isaiah sent word to Hezekiah, saying, This is the word that the Lord has spoken. A stick of butter, yes. He says, Have you not heard? And the you is, is Sennacherib, right? Or Rab, his representative. Have you not heard? Long ago I did it. From ancient times I planned it. Now I have brought it to pass that you should turn fortified cities into ruinous heaps. Therefore, and then he talks about what's going to happen. And, and, but then down in verse 28, he says, you're raging against me. And because of your raging against me and your arrogance, therefore, I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back by the way you came. And I think that's a little... Um, ironic because that's what the Assyrians were known to do. They were very cruel and they would put hooks in people's noses like if they were a little too feisty or something. They like, just like you would, uh, is it pigs? You put a ring in their nose. It is payback time, yes. <laughs> it is. It's like, remember before God said, I'm going to use these I'm going to use Assyria for my purposes and they're going to be like my, my whip or my, um, I forgot the different ways he described it, maybe as a, his sword, but to discipline his people because they were rebellious and they were, you know, they were rebellious sons and they were dumb as oxes and stubborn as mules. And so he said, I, I got to get your attention somehow. So I'm, so I'm going to use Assyria to do that. that, and that's what happened in the north, they were taken away. But then Assyria began moving down toward Judah, and, and they need disciplining too, but he's, he did tell them that Assyria is not going to conquer Jerusalem. The Assyrians? Yes. Um, Lucci's pointing out that he's letting them know, hey, the only we reason you've been able to conquer all these things and be successful is because I permitted it. Mm -hmm. Because you may have your little, you know, pea brain, you know, scene and your plan and your schemes, what you're going to do, conquer the world, blah, blah, blah. But I'm God. And, and your little plan is just a little tiny bit of my big sovereign picture. And so, but, and so they, but they thought they were big stuff. And so God's just saying, no, no, no. <laughs> you only did this because I allowed you and I'm using you for my purpose. Um, and then at 33, he said, well, um, the surviving remnant, verse 31, of the house of Judah will again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem will go forth a remnant, and out of Mount Zion survivors. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, this is verse 33, he will not come to this city or shoot an arrow there, and he will not come before it with a shield or throw up a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, by... By the same he will return, and he will not come to this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake. Remember Hezekiah said, Lord, do it for your own sake that your glory might be known. And for my servant David's sake. Isn't it interesting? Now, why would he mention David? David's been gone for hundreds of years. Yes. Second Samuel 7, verse 10 through 17. There's at least two times in this section of four chapters that, he, that David is mentioned. I don't know if we've already passed the first one. Oh, no, the next one's in chapter 38. <clears throat> okay. So, um, uh, for I will defend this city, chapter, uh, verse 35, to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Now, David's long dead, so it's not going to mean a whole lot to him. 
but he's referring to the fact that I'm keeping my word of the promise that I made to David. And, and he points out that there is a remnant of believing uh, people who truly seek the Lord. Okay, so the last couple of verses, how did God intervene? How did he, how did he pull this off? Here's this huge army <coughs> uh, camped right near Jerusalem. One angel versus, yeah. And so it says the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when men arose early in the morning, behold, all of them were dead. And um, in, in Sennacherib's uh, royal uh, diaries, he says something, something about rats came into the camp and we had to flee or something like that. Or I don't know. He, he certainly doesn't say the angel of the Lord killed him. And so Sennacherib was not killed in that he probably wasn't right up on the front. Um, King of Assyria departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. So just as God said, hey, you're going to go right back north just the way you came down here. And so um, it says that it came about as he was worshiping in the house of Niskuch, something, his god, so one of his gods, that Adrimelech and Sherezer, his sons, killed him with the sword and escaped into the land of Ararat, and Esarhaddon, his son, became king in his place. Um, so he was murdered by his own sons, and this was, a, this was a few years later. It wasn't immediately, but apparently the older sons were ticked off because he had not made one of them his successor. And so they said, well, we're going to kill him. It seems like they should have just killed the brother, but whatever, uh, or done neither. But I mean, you know, if you're going to kill. But anyway, they were ticked off at him, and so they killed him, and then his, then that uh, the other the other brother probably from another mother um, became king so so you will read about Esar Haddon in when you read about the Assyrians okay okay so um, 36 and 37 were about a threat to Hezekiah's kingdom the city of Jerusalem and how God um, dealt with that how he responded to the prayer and and how God responded to this blasphemous talk of the representative of the king of Assyria. So now chapters 38 and 39, a little more personal, right? A little, a little more personal toward um, of Hezekiah. So what's going on uh, in uh, the first verse of chapter 38? What's going on? Oh, wait, we got to have a title. Hezekiah's illness. Hezekiah's illness. Okay, so something, I mean, the whole point is that he was sick and he was probably going to die and he prayed and, and God intervened. So something, something maybe using some of those words. Yes. Oh, yes. Um, Lucci's saying that... Um, a lot of scholars think that chapters 38 and 39 could, could fit chronologically a little better before 36 and 37. For, the, for our purposes of, of looking at um, wise prayer strategies and examining the kinds of, of, of strategies, the MO of RAB, you know, that doesn't make a lot of difference. but but it's very possible if you were trying to make everything chronological. And there's a couple of things we'll look at that, that might tell us that. Um, okay, so, so what what's the very first verse? What happened? Mortally ill. That means that he's probably going to die. And I think it says, um, and even Isaiah then had a word for him and said, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. So... So he's sick. It seems very serious. And even Isaiah says, "Looks like it looks like it's time, Hezekiah. You better make sure you know you've got things in place." He was not all that old, correct? Yeah. Um, 
I don't know, but it's very interesting because most scholars think that Manasseh was born in that additional 15 years. Yeah. Well, most of his most of his prayer is about, oh, you know, I'm just so young, and I'm not going to have, I'm not going to get to do this and that, and, uh, you know, he doesn't say I don't have, I don't have anybody in place, but it's possible. Okay, so I have um, um, God's mercy and Hezekiah's testimony. So under the first eight verses, uh, he prays, right? And so anything new we could add to our uh, prayer pointers here from, from his prayer there? That first, um, I guess it's just verse 3, 2 and 3. Anything there that you think, oh, that'd be a good idea when I pray? Okay. When he said he turned his face to the wall, at first I thought it meant he was sulking. Like, well, God, how could you do this? But I think it was just to have, I, I, I do, I've come to that conclusion that it was to have privacy. Okay, so, and he didn't call for Isaiah uh, well, Isaiah sent him the word, but he didn't say, get Isaiah in here. I want to question him about this. So, so he talked to God uh, privately. And anything else? He wept. So it was, it was, you know, don't be afraid to show emotion. Something's just really getting to you. It's okay to pray in God's presence and pray with tears. I mean, you know, it's okay. Yes. Yes. <sighs> he wept bitterly. Well, I think he's saying, remember, God, you know, I've, I've walked before you in truth and with a whole heart and I've done what's good. And like, you know, it seems like I, sh I shouldn't be dying this young. And, and he could be a little bit. I, I didn't do a word study of bitter, did anybody? No. Um, okay, so then uh, Isaiah has, he gets a message from God, and God says, hey, go tell Hezekiah. So what's the message in 5 and 6 and 7 and plus 15? Plus 15. Yes. Yes. He says, um, uh, I have heard your prayers. I have seen your tears. Behold, that means, hey, listen up. Here's the point. I will add 15 years to your life. I will, and then, oh, and by the way, I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. So he's repeating himself. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that's part of the reasoning. Um, Susan's saying that maybe that's part of why they're saying, um, I, you know, that the, different chapter order might might be appropriate 10 minutes okay we're good eight minutes okay all right um what are seven and eight about okay now did anybody else have a sign from god yes who isaiah but who who was that sign who was the other sign for Ahaz, remember? He, God said, I'll give you a sign. And he says, I'm not going to test God. And the God goes, oh, no, no, I am going to give you a sign. And that's when he says the virgin shall conceive and all that. So, so I, think there, I think that there's a, there's a purpose here. In, remember I said that, that Ahaz failed his test and God spent a lot of chapters reviewing his sovereignty, that he's trustworthy and all that. And then we get to Hezekiah. Now Hezekiah has a test. Because remember Ahaz, it was under military threat. It was, it was um, Samaria, uh, yeah, the north and um, Syria. Not Assyria, but Syria. And, and so it's showing the parallel. Like, okay, this, this happened. They both got signs, you know. Um, okay, and then it says... Um, in verse 9, notice it says, a writing of King Hezekiah after his illness and recovery. So 
so again, that's kind of a time thing like, well, maybe this is out of order or something. And then down at the very end of the chapter, it says in verse 21, now Isaiah had said, made it sounds like it was back before, that they should make a, a cake of figs and apply it to the boil. So apparently he had some kind of infection or something and Isaiah said, do this and he'll recover. And then Hezekiah had said, what is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? Like, um, what's, okay, I need a sign that God is going to heal me. And so that's when the sign of the shadow and all that stuff was given. So it, it's a little bit confusing. Okay, so, um, so verses 9 down through, um, oh, let's see, down through 20, I guess. Somebody called it um, Hezekiah's psalm because he's praising God. He's kind of giving a, it's almost like a psalm of David, right? Here was my situation. I cried out to the Lord. Here's what he did. Um, what did anything that you um, especially liked or stood out to you in that, in his, in his pray? He had what? Oh, Yes, yes, yeah, his perception of death, Old Testament perception of death was different. Talked about the pit of nothingness, and um, didn't he mention Sheol? Yes, 17 and 18. But he said, you have cast all my sins behind your back. So he was aware of forgiveness and, and um, that he was saved and walking with God. Um, so he just talks about, about how how he you know if he should die what the results would be and but that and then he and then he says you know if i'm dead i can't be praising you lord down in verse 18 19 it is the living who give thanks to you as i do today a father tells his son about your faithfulness the lord will surely save me so we will play my songs all the days of our life at the house of the lord okay so now it's 39, it's very short. What's it about? I've got a question. Yes. Is the sign uh, that is in verse 8, is that like a sundial and is it backing up a time? It's, it's, giving him, it, it's giving him more time kind of as a symbol that God will give him the more time that he promised him. Yeah, whether God just made that happen for him to see or actually did something cosmic, I don't know. <laughs> I have heard that there's, um, um, you know, in the sky and, it, you know, with all the, what is this called? Um, mathematically, they can track the stars in the sky. Uh-huh, like uh-huh. They have tracked. That there's know, a gap. Things are off. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Joshua or somebody. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Gave them more time. Yeah. Lana's referring to some mathematicians have done some uh, astronomical <laughs> uh, calculations and. And they have found something off for you know that amount of time or something in the in the sun. So it could be very well be um, you know proof of this. So okay. So um, so what happens after he's healed? What happens? Who sa who says hey? Send him a good a nice get well card. Glad to hear you're doing better. Babylon. So remember, this is not Assyria. This is Babylon. Babylon is part of Assyria, but they're going to be on the rise and they think they should just break off and do their own thing. In fact, they're going to defeat Assyria. And eventually it will be Babylon who takes the south, Judah, into captivity. Okay. Yeah, it, it wasn't immediate. It was it was a few years later. Correct. Um, so, so the people from Babylon come and they, they brought him a gift and they said, oh, we're so glad 
that you that you're better and it says that hezekiah was pleased and so what did he do showed him all the treasures and all that stuff like oh yeah we got a great setup here look at this and then um isaiah came and, and asked him questions like who were those guys and what were you doing and all that and and uh he says uh in verse five hear the word of the lord hezekiah behold the days are coming when all that is in your house and all that your fathers have laid up in store to this day because it was kind of like the royal um treasury that you know the riches and stuff um, will be carried to babylon so there's a clue who's going to take them um, nothing will be left and some of your sons that issue that will issue from you whom you will beget so it sounds like sons that aren't born yet right <clears throat> will be taken and become officials um, in babylon then he said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord, which you have spoken is good. For he thought, for there will be peace and truth in my days. So what do you make of that last, wow. the last uh, verse? Yeah. So, well, we were going to talk about the positive and the negative. So that even though he's listed as a good king, he still had his faults. He kind of did some foolish things, reveal things to an enemy or potential potential enemy that he shouldn't have, and and um, yet he was he. It seems like he was he, like he didn't say, "Oh, Isaiah, I was just showing him some stuff. Don't get all ruffled." You know, he said, "Yeah, that's I hear you. I hear you." So it seems like he received. Uh, I think Solomon might have done that. I don't know if it was in Isaiah. Okay. Oh, John said, wasn't there another time when a king showed all the treasures and stuff and in Isaiah? And we're not... I'm not, was it Solomon? 